and trial, and then we'll go back to Luke. I'm really struck when I read these stories, these accounts of these people who met with Jesus and whose lives were turned totally upside down. And I want to talk of two people this morning. It comes out of Luke, where Luke, uh, Jesus is having dinner with uh, somebody called Simon. And a woman comes in, and it's a well-known story, and she weeps all over his feet and, and anoints his feet with her ointment. and is, It's a very powerful, moving scene. And that's on one side of the, the spectrum. On the other side, you have Paul, who is a very um, intellectual, learned man who also says, Jesus, I've given everything to you. From somebody who has nothing to somebody who has everything. And what I want to suggest this morning to us is, is asking God for revelation of who Jesus is. Because it's really easy for us to get comfortable with, yeah, I believe in Jesus, yeah, I follow him sort of, and um, yeah, I, I give some money. And, and when we were to introduce Jesus to others, it's kind of, well, I believe in him. I kind of, he, yeah, he, he, he sort of helped me with, I was in a bit of a crisis and he helped me. And, um, yeah, I believe in him. I haven't killed anyone. And our passion gets so low. And we get so familiar that eventually it becomes something I believe in. And if I were to introduce him, I would have less passion for him than I would for my family. And I'm not saying that to give, do a heavy on us. I'm merely going, Lord, will you rise it up in me so that's not true? Will you give me a sense of who you are that would just excite me? Because if Jesus is true, he is the most radical, exciting, powerful, passionate person that has ever lived. And he's certainly the most exciting, passionate presence that ever will come into our realm of living. But we need revelation. And revelation means coming to an understanding that we can't get to without God that I can't work out in my head and I can't manufacture. I have to have God touch me. And one of the ways you can get God to touch you is just ask him to. Just say, Lord, will you open my heart? I open my heart, but will you fill it to a deeper capacity? So you have this uh, description of Paul when he's in front of uh, very powerful people, the, the rulers of the land. And this is towards the end of his life now. This is towards just as he's going to Rome and he's going to go to Rome and he's going to be imprisoned for two years and we've talked about him being in chains. That's where he's heading. And after two years of chains or three years of chains, he's going to have his head cut off because he believes in Jesus. And this is probably 25 years after he was first touched by Jesus. And he speaks about that when he, 
stands in front of the authority, in front of Agrippa, in verse, uh, chapter 26. And he says, The Jews all know the way that I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they, if they are willing that according to the strictest sect of our religion I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Paul was being held uh, as prisoner because he said Jesus rose from the dead and was the Son of God. That was it. The religious people, uh, the, the, the Pharisees, the Jewish people said that that was not the interpretation of Scripture they had. And Paul said, well, I had a revelation and, and I've been with these other disciples who saw Jesus and he is uh, the Son of God. He rose from the dead like no one else. He is the fulfillment of the Scripture and he could intellectually actually teach your way through the Old Testament to show why. And the religious leaders said, well, then we're going to take you out. Why it's important to reflect on this is because if you look at your own life, it's sometimes embarrassing to realize how much I deny things so that I don't get into any uncomfortable situation. And one of the reasons why sometimes the passion doesn't go deep in us is because we've lost touch with actually believing anything that will cost us. As soon as it costs, I back off. We talked about this on Tuesday night at the Jesus ministry. We said, how much would it take to cause you to deny Jesus? How much money? Five bucks, ten bucks, a thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks? Your job, your career, your possessions? What would it take before you tipped? He said, I don't know him. What would it take to stand up for him? And Paul was standing up for what he knew of Jesus and had experienced of Jesus. One of the reasons he was so passionate was because he had gone with such conviction towards Damascus to kill the Christians and to, to, to hammer the Christians. And Jesus came smack right in front of him and said, Who are you? What are you doing? And we might say, Well, if God did that to me, I might also do a turnaround. And then you might ask, Well, what would God need to do? What would God need to do to get our attention at a deeper level? Sometimes we say, Lord, why do you allow suffering? And we get angry with suffering. And if you go around enough and you spend enough time with people, you realize that actually suffering sometimes, as somebody called it, is the megaphone of God where he might as a loving father say, my son or my daughter, the only way I can get your attention is when you're desperate. And because I care about what happens to you, I'd rather see you desperate than lost. I don't want suffering to be my megaphone. But if that's what it takes, then I allow it. And so where's the church growing the biggest and the strongest around the world? It's growing in the areas that are the toughest to live.
Paul wrote to 2 Corinthians. I saw this the other day and was amazed by it actually. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he was speaking to the, the uh, people of Israel. I don't think I've got the right. I think it's one. He was speaking, he was warning the people of Israel and he said to them, um, I didn't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. And they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. God's chosen people fed by him, supplied by him, and their bodies were scattered over the desert. In other words, they didn't get it. And Jesus is calling us to passion. And I want to ask him for revelation so that I might know his love and his presence better than I do now. There seem to be two realities with Revelation or knowing Jesus that Paul had and the woman that we're going to talk about in a minute had and that was an, a revelation of my need. A revelation of my need without God. And then a revelation of Him at that point of need. And with Paul, he was very religious and he didn't have a crisis. The crisis happened when God intervened I remember, I've told you these stories, but I'll tell them again to make the point and make it personal. Swimming off the coast of South Africa and, and, and going into what we were told was a safe place to swim and getting out there um, and having a revelation. Couldn't get back. We were in a rip-out tide and couldn't get back. And the panic just started, I could feel it. And uh, I thought, I, I remember thinking this, I'm going to die. And then cutting a long story short, somebody saw us from the shore and a surfer came out and picked my friend and I up on the board and we were back on the shore within two minutes. If he hadn't come, I would have died. Jesus came out. I, I told that story to a girl who was dying of leukemia and said to Irene, I think Jesus wants to come and fetch you. She died the next day of leukemia at 23 years old. The problem with coming to that revelation is that I never intended to get there. I thought I was swimming safe. And then years later, you know my story, things were beginning to crumble inside and we had left the Anglican church and that took its toll and my own father died and that took its toll. And I established friendships and they struck chords in me and I didn't realize I was getting pulled into something that would kill me. 
and I carried on the friendship and it ruined my marriage. And I'm not being dramatic here. I'm just saying I didn't mean to get there. I didn't mean to betray the church. I didn't mean to betray my marriage. I didn't mean to betray God. I didn't mean to get caught. I would have denied it and said, no way, never to me. But it took everything I ever had. I didn't mean to get lost. And I believe there's a point where we need to be on our guard because we're all vulnerable. And we need a saviour. We need somebody who guards us and guards our spirit. But when you've got to that place where you didn't mean to get to, what then? When you're in the rip-out current and you're running out of strength and you can't get back, you need a saviour, otherwise you die. What's your story? Have you got there yet? Or do you still think you're not going to be one who ever gets to that place of need? You know, the thing about a leper is he puts his hand on a hot plate and says, I have no need to take it off. It's a symptom of his disease, not of his courage. And God says that all of us need rescuing. And so, the way we can pray and ask Jesus to speak to us is say, Lord, will you show me where I am? Because I tell you, getting on that surfboard is the most exhilarating thing when a second before you were going to drown. You've actually just come alive again. The surfboard took a long time to come the second time around. Certainly a long time for me to get on. So, when I introduce Jesus and say he saved my life, I absolutely mean it. I absolutely mean it. And I'm so privileged to keep company with someone like Saul or Paul who said, this is what I was. And without Jesus, I wouldn't be. And so there's nothing left for me to live for other than to say, Lord, what do you want? You can have it. There's nothing more life-giving than sitting next to somebody and saying, there's a Jesus, there's a God who has hope and life for you. Let's pray and let's see you come to know him. And you know what the power of my ministry is now? It's doing what I'm doing right now sharing my brokenness and praising Jesus 
for his faithfulness. That's all it is. But it's everything. And God's calling all of us to that. And why I'm sharing this is because we don't have to go to the places some of us go. Though sometimes maybe it's easier, maybe it's more difficult if you haven't had the crisis to appreciate the grace that God extends to us. And you see this... uh, when this woman in Luke 7 comes to Jesus. It's, this, it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Jesus is having dinner at a place, a man's house. His name is Simon. He's a Pharisee. He's a religious leader. He's a good churchgoer. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a sinner she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owned money, owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I ended has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. He who has been forgiven little loves little. You're in the same place, same situation, two men seeing this woman, experiencing what she does and two very different reactions. They used to think the unclean woman touches the prophet, the prophet gets unclean. And Jesus goes, you don't understand, when the unclean, the unclean woman touches me, she gets clean. It's called grace, it's called unconditional love. Why would that woman do that? Because she was lost, totally lost, totally numb, totally used totally abused, walked by by the religious people and brushed aside, used by men probably. She probably was Mary, one of the Marys that followed Jesus later. And the only language she has is to, to put it crudely, use her body. 
And she comes in and she has this jar of perfume that's very, very expensive. And she just pours it out. And Jesus is incredibly moved by her and honors her. And so Simon, you know, when she, what she's done, you didn't have the passion to do. I'm just a guest to fill up your, your supper party. But I actually met her somewhere else and I told her that my father loves her. And just the way that I interacted with her changed her life. And she's here now giving me worship with everything she possibly can in front of you, who she knows despises her. But it matters less to her what you think than how she wants to convey her thankfulness to me. And she's going to spend the rest of her life following me. And she's going to spend the rest of her life drawing people to me because of what has happened in her heart. How deeply has Jesus touched your heart? How deeply does he move you? How deeply do you want him to? On the cross, Jesus held nothing back. On the cross, when Jesus went to the cross when he was 33 years old, I wonder if he talked to his dad and said, I wouldn't mind being married. I'm only 33. Couldn't I die for the world at 45? Because I wouldn't mind marrying one of the girls that's following me. She's quite sweet. I wouldn't mind having children. I wouldn't mind seeing a bit more of the world. Do you think I could do that, Dad? I wouldn't mind doing a few things that I have a mind to do. You ever think Jesus might have thought like that? And his father said, it's now. And he said, okay. Because we live in a world where we're continually putting things off. I just need to deal with my stuff and my agenda and then and then I'll give you time, Lord. And he wants us now, as Ken was saying, he wants us now. Now. I want you now to step up. I want you now to serve me. I want you now to worship me with abandon. If you've been rescued and you were drowning... You have no problem saying, I was rescued and I was drowning. Jesus saved me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Bless you, Lord. Thank you so much. You have no problem. You have no problem demonstrating your love for God who was so gracious to you. In fact, instead of putting your hands up, people have to pull them down and say, shh. How would that be? You have no problem coming together as Christians saying, what's, what's he going to do today? Lord, how can you use me today? 
How can I serve you? How can I get alongside somebody? How can I, Lord, what can I give you that would dare come close to what you've given me? God in your heart does that. And once he's touched your heart, you can't go back to your head. He or she who has been forgiven little loves little. So that's it as we come to communion this morning. You ever thought about a sheep getting lost? Do you know how it gets lost? It just follows its nose. It's eating. And it just keeps eating. And one of the symptoms of getting lost is you pull away from others. It's one of the first signs that you're in danger of getting lost is if you're isolated. You'll deny it. You just say it's my personality or something. But that's one of the first signs that you can almost guarantee loss is coming. Keeping myself to myself. I serve Jesus, but on my stuff. It's a sign. It might be a year, it might be two, it might be five. But it will come. But a sheep just follows its nose. What it wants, what it likes, what it eats. Gratification. Eventually it looks up and it finds it's on its own and doesn't know where it is. And then you have this wonderful picture of Jesus saying, the shepherd left the ninety-nine and found the lost sheep and put it on his shoulders and came back rejoicing because the one that was lost is found. We serve a passionate God. We serve a God who is incredibly kind, who really, really, really cares. I mean, he cares enough for me to say to you, he wants to see more passion in you. It's not my agenda. He just says, I want to see my people alive. I want to see them buzzing with anticipation and excitement. I want to see them vibrating with the love of my Father in them so they are so confident in my provision for them they'll never worry again. I want to see them lining up saying, what can I do to serve? I want to say, see them calling, calling people up and saying, How can I, you know, let's have coffee because I just want to hear your story and I want to share with you what's happening with me. And I want to give you hope. So let's ask God's Spirit to meet us wherever we are. I need somebody to do me a quick favor. Fred, just go to my office, please. This is the key. There's that sign that I had. It's on the bookshelf. Please. Um, so you need to, we need two revelations all the time. The one revelation is what I'm capable of without Jesus 
and the other revelation is what is possible with him. And I just invite you to, to, to dare to ask him for those two revelations again and again and again. What we're used to is the revelation of me without Jesus leads to condemnation and depression. It doesn't have to be that way. The revelation of me without Jesus is depressing. But it's the true state of me without him. And then the revelation is that he comes and says, but now we can actually do something. And I, I found this little uh, sign in a, in, a, in a store last week and I thought this has to come up to the front of the church sometime. Thanks, Fred. Because there's an element which we've been talking about for the last while and that is uh, if you want to see something happen, you probably need to consider this. When was the last time you did something different for the first time? That's what's going to make the difference in our walk with Jesus. Is, is a willingness to do something different. And so as we come before the Lord this morning, as we break bread together, I pray that God will stir us and is stirring us, not into condemnation at all, but into more. I want more, Lord. I want to be like that woman. I want to be like Paul who says, whatever you want, I'm going to testify that Jesus is the one I serve. So let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that you... Uh, you always have more. But you're not a God who forces it. You're not a God who, who ever le uh, legislates anything. You invite us into relationship. And uh, as we walk in relationship with you, you invite us to follow you deeper into those places where you live and you are alive. And so we pray for one another this morning for passion to rise up in us, for love to be ignited perhaps in new ways in our hearts for you and to receive your love in new ways for us. Come Holy Spirit and break our hearts with the love of the Father. Now speak death to the lies that would accuse us where we're weak. Speak death to lies that would cause us to be less than. May we hear our real situation not as condemnation but as evidence of why we need a saviour more and more and more. Father, we don't want to know about you. We want to know you. We don't want to be those who have known you for 25 years and we wouldn't stand up before anybody because it's not a, it doesn't matter enough. We want to be those who have passion. And that means different things for different people. So Jesus, thank you that we can share in a meal together. 
And thank you that we can come before you as we are and we just ask you to continue to teach us and transform us into the people that you want us to be. That we might give to you everything we have. And if we had nothing, we would do that like that woman. We would just kneel before your feet and touch you and say thank you, thank you, thank you.